<laughs> Anyways, um, we have a little going away, a little cake thing for you. Um, so that's going to be after. And then there's a card. If you haven't signed it, it's back um, on the table. So do that before we give it to him. That's it. Thank you for planning that, Michelle. Ben, you shocked us with this decision to join the armed services and go to boot camp. Just like, where did that come from? But we're really proud of you. Thanks for uh, volunteering for to protect our great country and to join the, the elite. A few the proud, the Americans that join the military. What, which branch? Navy. What do you think of that, Jim? There's a Navy man. All right. Okay, praise God. So uh, if you haven't signed the card for Ben, go ahead and do that. It'll give him something that he can remember us by and know that we're praying for him, and he'll pray for us. Uh, the Open Door Baptist Church has a ladies' retreat, and we were visited this morning by a family from that church, a personal friend of mine from my past. I had no idea that Jerry was uh, involved in this, and I, I heard his voice. I knew that I knew Jerry. So uh, for ladies, uh, anybody 13 years and older are encouraged to attend at the Open Door Church there uh, just off Highway 63 between Ashland and Columbia. You probably see that church when you go into Columbia called the Open Door Baptist Church. they got a nice fancy sign out there. It's going to be September the 13th. Uh, the, what? I'm sorry, yeah, the 20th, 27th, September 27th. Cool. And uh, it's an all-day event for the ladies. There's breakfast and lunch, and our own Michelle Tart and some of the praise band from Russellville, Missouri will be there. And so we encourage you ladies to uh, make plans to attend this, and I think our ladies group will probably uh, get some uh, information together and maybe take a group over there. Cool. Turn to the book of James, chapter 1. I want to talk to you about the mingled mind of a man. This morning we looked at those imposters in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. They looked like good Christians. They looked like they were people. No, that's, I don't have anything on there. I pulled this one out of my hat. It's not on the computer. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
Now, turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 22, all the way to the beginning of the Bible. We're going from one end to the other, backwards. I want you to look at the character that we see in Numbers, chapter 22. In this chapter, we're introduced to a man named Balaam. Balaam was a man with a, a an occupation of... Uh, some would say sorcery, some would say prophecy. And in, in reality, it's a mingling, a dabbling of the pure religion of God and the false religion of, uh, of man. And Balaam is caught in the middle of this. So you wonder, how does Balaam have a relationship with God. He's not an Israelite. The Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness and they're just about ready to cross the Jordan and take Jericho and Ai and all the other cities that God has promised them in that land. So read with me the first seven verses. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the river, that is Euphrates, in his native land. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak said. And Balaam offers an answer to to them and saying, I will go and ask God, the Lord. He identifies God. And my question was, how in the world does Balaam have a relationship with our God? He's, uh, he's not an Israelite. It's sort of like this song that one of my favorite singers, Charlie Peacocks, wrote a few years ago called One Man Gets Around. Listen to this. It's amazing how one man gets around. God gets around, doesn't he? That's what I believe has happened here in this instance that we're reading in the book of Numbers. God is a big God. He's not in a little box called the Israelites. God is the God of the world and he can introduce himself to Balaam just like he introduced himself to Abraham when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. I think that's what's happened here. Now Balaam's twisted this into the point where he's a false prophet uh, of God, most scholars would call him a false prophet. Uh, I think it's a little, I think it's a little more vague than that. 
I think he does have a relationship with his God. He calls him my God. But he's trying to mingle the rest of this false worship of other gods and divination what he's being paid for to put a curse on people. And I don't know if this is reality or flattery in the message that Balak sends to him. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. He has a reputation or else Balak is just trying to flatter him. He's willing to pay him great money, so I think this is his reputation that he has a uh, history of being able to do what he says he can do through, uh, through his prayers. Balaam had three responses to God. He has been called to curse God's people. God speaks to Balaam. Balaam has three answers. One is a is a response of respect he respects God's answer that's how he begins in this story then it disintegrates into a regret he regrets instead of respecting God's answer he regrets that God told him to do something he doesn't want to do it and finally he neglects what God told him to do what I want you to see in this story of Balaam is that when we respond to God's word with respect and obedience, not looking back with regret, then we're going to go forward and we're not going to be like the one in the book of James that forgets what we're supposed to be doing. This is why we gather together at church often. This is why we we're told do a daily Bible study, pray daily. It's that looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing what you're supposed to see, keeping it fresh in your mind. What is the pure religion? If you were asked to, to, to define religion, would you do it the way James did? Or would you just... We've drifted so far from that real definition, we, we might say, well, it's about going to church. That's not in, that's not in the book of James, is it? No. It helps. But that pure religion and undefiled before God is to reach out and help people in their real needs. So, here's Balaam. He has respect for God's answer. We've, we've read the first seven verses. This is the introduction to the story. Now, what does he do when he's called on to curse God's people? Start at verse 8 and read through verse 14. Balaam said to them, Spend the night here, and I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. So it's, it's a personal term, the Lord. He's not looking at any other God. He's, he's talking to the Israelites' God. Whatever the Lord gives, the Lord gives me that answer. So the Moabite princes stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people has come out of Egypt, covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps I'll be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning Balaam got up and said to Balak's princes, go back to your own country for the Lord. That's a personal term, has refused to let me go with you. There's an act of obedience. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. 
three evidence of Balaam's respect for God's answer. Balaam really did respect what God told him. He was open to what God would decide. What he said to those men, stay here and I'll go talk to God and we'll see what he says. He was open to the answer, whatever it would be that God would give him. He was faithful and respectful of God's answer because he just went back and delivered the answer. He said, go back to your country because God says I can't go. Do not go with them. He says, the Lord has refused to let me go with you. In that sense, he respected God's answer. He's refused to go with them. That's the evidence that he respected God's answer. He refused to go back with them. Now, there's a, there's a sense of the mingling of a mind of a man. This man, Balaam, he's drifting in and out of relationship with his God and with his false faith and the dabbling in the other sin that he's dabbling in. And so he begins to regret the answer. Read verse 15. Then Balak sent other princes more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Don't let anything keep you from coming, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. Right there we find, a, we find a hint of regret. He reveals his greed. The book of Second Peter chapter 2 tells us that Balaam and his sin was greed. He, was, he loved money. And you see that Balak, the king, says, I will give you, I will reward you handsomely. And, he, and Balaam's answer is, if you give me half your kingdom, well, stay here and I'll see what else the Lord will say. He revealed his real heart. He revealed his greed. He was mad for money. And so what does he do? He regrets the answer that God gave him. He says, well, maybe if I go ask God, he'll change his mind. <laughs> How do you think that's going to work out? What do, we, what do we call that when we keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results? Insanity, yeah. That's what Balaam's going to do here. He regrets that God told him not to go. He regrets that he didn't go. He said he couldn't go out of respect for God's answer. But you see a, a hint of regret in here. Stay here and I'll find out what else the Lord will tell me. What else do you think God will tell you? God doesn't change his mind. The verse in the Bible that says God is not a man that he would change his mind is right here in this section that talks about Balaam. So he questions God's first answer. Now stay here tonight like the other people did and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. One commentator explains Balaam's regret by pointing out that he knew what his duty was. Saying it this way, a duty so plain there's no need for second thoughts. Has God told you to do something? And you just wish you hadn't heard him say that? Because then you could just go ahead and do it. Wouldn't be obedient, disobedience then, would it? But you know. And so now what do you do? Well, you regret that he told you that. So what do you do? Go back and, 
and try again. Maybe you can talk him out of it. <laughs> Good try, right? Well, he regretted God's answer, so he goes back and tries to get him to answer differently. Start with verse 20. He neglected his full duty. That's the final step in, his, in this tragic life, the mingled mind of a man, Balaam. First he respected God's answer, then he regretted God's answer, and now he's going to neglect his full duty. Beginning at verse 20. So that night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Now look at four facts. It doesn't look like he's neglecting his duty, does it? But there are four facts that you need to see here. First of all, he, he was given a duty. God said, do only what I tell you. Go with them and do only what I tell you. So he got ready. That's the second fact. He hasn't neglected his full duty, has he? He looks like he's an obedient prophet of God, doesn't he? But look what happens. Keep reading. From verse 22 but God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand she turned off the road into a field Balaam beat her to get her back on the road then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. All right, stop right there. We're going to read the rest of the story. Don't read on. Some of you know how this story turns out, so that's okay. Stop right there. Four facts. He didn't seem to neglect his duty, but look at the facts. He was given a clear duty. Go with them, but do only what I tell you. He got ready by arising early in the morning and saddling his donkey. Looks pretty good there. He departed with his companions. There were some companions with him. Those men who came from Moab, the princes. He also had with him the donkey and two servants. These are his companions. What he doesn't know is that he has an unseen companion, the angel of the Lord. Somebody sees the angel of the Lord, but it's not Balaam. Now you say, God told him to go. That's in verse 20. And verse 22, but God was very angry when he went. Now how can God tell him to go and then be angry when he goes? Think about the language that's here. God gives him a clear duty, a full duty. He says, go, but do only what I tell you. Now if you understand the mind of the, this mingled mind of Balaam, then you're going to understand what's going on. God knows this man's mind. He gets up in the morning and went with the princes of Moab with greed in his mind. God was angry because he went. That's a better word, and King James uses it. It's, uh, it's, 
it's not because he went it's not when he went because God told him to go but it's has more the idea that he went with the wrong motive because he went with the wrong motive because he left with these men because he went and how did he go with the wrong motive we'll see it in just a little bit God was very angry because he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him so he has companions with him the delegation from Moab the donkey and the angel the, an the angel is sent to oppose him and the Hebrew word there is the word that we get Satan from it means to accuse doesn't it that's what Satan means to accuse and literally this word can mean to attack the angel of the Lord was there if he needed to to attack Balaam God says go but do only what I say and Balaam goes but he goes with the wrong motive because he went with them why did he go for the money for his greed's sake not to obey everything the Lord his God says because that's not in his mind he, he regrets God's answer he doesn't want to do everything the Lord his God says so with this wrong motive he goes and the angel stands either to accuse him or literally to attack him because your path is a reckless one before me God says and I would certainly have killed you by now is what the angel is going to tell Balaam let's keep reading the rest of this story then where, where do we leave off verse 28 thank you so the donkey lays down and Balaam beats the donkey with his staff then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times and here's the irony he talks back to the donkey <laughs> which one's crazy <laughs> uh, Balaam answered the donkey you have made a fool of me if I had a sword in my hand I would kill you right now the donkey said to Balaam am I not your own donkey which you have always ridden to this day have I been in the habit of doing this to you no Balaam said Bill I've got to ask you this question because when I read this story I thought of you there's a man that has horses and so my, I've got to ask you a question do you talk to that animal do you think she understands this donkey has a conversation and she says look man I've been your donkey a long time haven't I she asked him a question carrying on a conversation with her owner I'm not in the habit of doing this am I think about it we've been in a good relationship I've been your donkey you've ridden me I've been uh, you know just been a pretty good donkey <laughs> maybe they do understand more than we give them credit for God opens this donkey's mouth and she speaks and <laughs> Balaam speaks back he says no you haven't been in the habit of doing this so verse 31 where we left off says the Lord opened Balaam's eyes have you asked God to open your eyes maybe you're not seeing the whole thing if what you're looking at looks a little bit odd or confusing or you're not sure ask God to open your eyes Elisha prayed that his servants eyes would be open and he saw angels angels of fire chariots of fire 
surrounding him like a wall of fire that God is for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. He protects us. The Lord opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel standing in the road with a sword drawn. So, so Balaam bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord said to him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you. That's that word we talked about. Because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her life. And so my question to you is this. Who's most important in this story? The pseudo-prophet or the talking donkey? God would have spared the donkey and killed the man because the man had a wrong motive. He was allowing these thoughts of his greed and of his desire to overcome what he knew his right and full duty was. God said, go, but do only what I tell you. And some of us look like we're doing the right thing. We look like we're on the right path. We look like we're doing what God told us to do, but... Are we doing everything he's told us to do? It's an important question you have to answer for yourself. The angel stands to oppose him, in fact, to take his own life if he has to, to attack him. There are four facts. We've said he was given a duty. We said he got ready. We said he had companions that departed with him. And finally... He delivers his message, the four oracles that we find in the next two chapters. He appears to completely obey, but does he? Remember, this is that final stage where he neglects. Not just regret anymore, and it's certainly not respectful anymore. He's going to, de to deliver four messages, or what the Old Testament calls oracles. Because he's a prophet. Let's look at these oracles, each one. There's several verses in each one, but I want us to take the time to hear from the man who talked to the donkey. Which one was crazy? Balaam said in, verse, in chapter 23, Build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. So the king, Balak, did as Balaam said. And the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. Yeah, you better be wondering if he's going to meet you since you're acting this way. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. Then he went off to a barren height. God met with him, and Balaam said, I've prepared seven altars, and on each altar I've offered a bull and a ram. He knows the acceptable sacrifice. He knows better than Cain what God is pleased with. <clears throat> so the Lord <clears throat> the Lord put a message in Balaam's mouth and said, Go back to Balak and give him this message. So he went back to him and found him standing beside his offering with all the princes of Moab. Then Balaam uttered this oracle. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? 
From the rocky peaks, I see them. From the heights, I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my end be like theirs. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but, uh, but you have done nothing but bless them. He answered, Must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Or seeing a man wrestling with himself and his greed. He says, I have to obey, but he doesn't want to obey. He bargains with God, hoping that God will change his mind. Look at the second oracle. Verse 13, Then Balak said to him, Let's go to another place where you can see them. You will see only a part, but not all of them. And from there, curse them for me. So he took him from the field of Zophan on the top of Pis Pisgah. And there he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each. Balaam said to Balak, stay here beside your offering while I meet with God over there. The Lord met with Balaam and put a message in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and give him this message. Think this one's going to be any better? <laughs> it's amazing how one man gets around. God's going to give the same message in different words. Look at these words. Verse 18. When he uttered his, then he uttered his oracle. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I've received a command to bless. He has blessed. I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. Think of that. They don't have a king, but this capital K king is the Messiah promised. There's a king among them. He's in their bloodline and he will come. He goes on in verse 22. God brought them out of Egypt. They had the strength of a wild ox. There's no sorcery against Jacob. No divination against Israel. I, it will now be said of Jacob and of Israel. See what God has done. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that does not rest till they devour their prey and drink the blood of their victim. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them nor at all, nor bless them at all. Balaam answered, Did I not tell you I must do whatever the Lord says? And then he utters a third oracle. He does the same thing. They go to a different place. They see more of the Israelites. They put the uh, altars up and offer the acceptable sacrifices. Then verse 3 of chapter 24. Uh, excuse me, verse 2. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came upon him and he uttered this oracle. The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly. The oracle of one who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel, like valleys they spread out like gardens beside a river like aloes planted by the Lord like cedars beside the waters water will flow from their buckets their seed will have abundant water their king will be greater than Agag their king will be exalted God brought them out of Egypt they have the strength of a wild ox 
they devour hostile nations and break their bones in pieces. With their arrows they pierce them like a lion. They crouch and lie down like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed and may those who curse you be cursed. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summon you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them three times. Now leave it once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell the messengers that you sent me? Even if you give me half your palace filled with silver and gold, I could do nothing of my own account good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. I must say only what the Lord says. Now I'm going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. So he utters a fourth oracle, and in this one you'll find familiar words. From verse 15, the final oracle. He utters this oracle. The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly. The oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has the knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth, Edom will be conquered, Seir, his enemy, will be conquered, but Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. And Balaam can't stop saying what God puts in his mouth. But he still has a heart of pride and greed. And in the end, what Peter says about him is true and says that he led them astray. The book of Revelation says that he led Israel astray by causing them to sin with the women of Moab. That was Balaam's plan. So even though he looks like he obeys fully, he doesn't. He couldn't stop speaking words of blessing on these people, but in his heart he wanted that money and he did whatever it could to do it, and he tricked the people of Israel with a crafty plan. And some of the Israelites died because of it. He's got this mind that's mingled. He's trying to have it both ways. He's trying to say, I'm completely obedient to God, but I'm not. And God knows his heart, doesn't he? When God says, go, but do only what I tell you, because he went, God was very angry with him because God knew his heart. You can't obey halfway. In music, everything is precise and exact. All the tones must take accurately the precise points assigned to them by the master composer. Or else the music doesn't have in it the incredible power which lifts and entrances the soul. The most difficult of all fine arts is the art of living the way God would have you live. Singing is easy compared to this exacting art of living. You cannot think any way you please or act any way you're inclined to. You're called to walk the narrow path. And so where are we? Where's our mind? Because on the outside we look like we serve the Almighty, the true God. 
and we may have steps that lead us in a way that looks like we're on the right path, but what's in our heart and what's in our mind? Have we allowed our mind to be mingled like Balaam, who looks like a true prophet but looks like a false prophet? This is why the world says the church is full of hypocrites. Because we've got people with a mingled mind. We've got people who looked into this word, got saved, repented of their sins and never looked at it again and walked away thinking everything's fine. Not realizing they forgot what we're supposed to be. We need to be a church that's fully devoted. We've been given a duty. And with respect, we, 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 we accept it. But is there some regret there? Do you wish... It was different. You wish you could have it your way too. Well, guess what? You cannot. This art of living the way God would have us to live is the hardest of all the arts. Walking the narrow path because you cannot think any way you please. There's not many ways to obey God. There's one way. You cannot act any way you want because there's only one right way. And that's God's way. Father God, I pray that you will erase from our minds this habit that we as humans have of mingling our way with your way, looking like we're obedient servants and yet harboring in our heart a regret that we can't do it our way, that we can't have what we desire and not what you desire. God, would you erase that from our minds and in our hearts. God, make us a church of people, individuals, who have a full devotion to our God, who say and mean it, that we can only do what you say, that we will only do what you say. Or we won't take steps that look like the right way, but they're really the wrong way. God, change our motives, search our hearts in Jesus' name. That we would have the right motive, God. That we would walk humbly with our God. Lord, keep us on this straight and narrow path. Father God, I thank you for all the blessings. No one can curse your people because the ones you bless, no one can curse. They can only continue to bless them over and over and more and more. Because that's your desire that your people are blessed. Time and time again, more and more, you've made a promise to your people to give them life abundantly, more, more and more, life to the full. Victory to victory, we would be the head and the, not the tail. God, that's your promise for your people. Lord, let us be those people who walk in that way, like those Israelites encamped in the wilderness, who at that moment had set their hearts to serve you and you were their God. They were your people and you were about to protect them and deliver them and make their enemies scatter. Thank you, Father, that you watch over your people, that you, what you desire, what you will is accomplished. Even back in the book of Numbers, you predicted through this false prophet that your king, the Messiah, would come. He would rule and he would reign. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, let it be that you'll find in this place a people that are willing and obedient. We're going to be soldiers of the cross. We're not going to regret, God, that we have followed you, that we've left it all, all our desires and passions, at your feet. 
God, give us your plan. Give us your purpose. Give us the future that you have for us. We will accept it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the roadmap. This is the instruction manual. Keep your face in it so you don't forget what God's called us to do.